ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so tonight, insha'Allah ta'ala, we begin with a new series of lessons. And in this particular series of lessons, which will be held every fortnight, and every other fortnight, there is an alternate series as you know. So upon this particular series of lessons, we're going to begin a new book. After having studied some of the other books previously, having studied the three fundamental principles, having studied some of the chapters of fiqh, the chapter of the prayer. So now we move on to this particular book, which is entitled, بَهْجَةُ قُلُوبِ الْأَبْرَارِ وَقُرَّةِ عُيُونِ الْأَخْيَارِ فِي شَرْحِ جَوَامِعِ الْأَخْبَارِ This book, which roughly translates as, The Delight... For the hearts of the pious, the delight for the hearts of the pious, and the coolness of the eyes of the select, in explanation of Jawami'ul Akbar. And that is the key here. This book is about an explanation of Jawami'ul Akbar. Jawami'ul Akbar. That refers to the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, but in particular, those narrations that are very succinct, very precise. They may be very short in their wordings, but the meanings behind them are very great, because that was something that the Prophet ﷺ was given. He was given Jawami'ul Kalim, meaning that he would speak with a few words, only a few succinct words. But the meanings behind those words were very great. Whereas the people nowadays, what happens? Everybody talks and talks and talks, and at the end of it, you've only got one point out of it. The Prophet ﷺ, the opposite. He would talk only a little, a few words, but they were so precise and eloquent that the meanings behind them were tremendous. That's why sometimes you come across a particular hadith, and this hadith may be only a line long in the book when it's printed. Maybe only six words, eight words, ten words long. Yet when you look at the explanation of that hadith, and you look at the fiqh which can be taken from it, the meanings and the principles that can be taken from it, you sometimes find the scholars writing ten pages, twenty pages, thirty pages, explaining a hadith that is only a line long. 
And that shows to you the jawami'ul kalim. How the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to speak with very few words, but the meanings were tremendous. This book, it will focus on some of these types of hadith. The jawami'ul kalim. Narrations, a hadith, wherein there are a tremendous amount of principles within them. Foundations of the religion. The basics that you must understand in regards to different aspects of your religion. In terms of aqidah, in terms of fiqh, in terms of your mannerisms and behaviors of a Muslim. All various topics in the religion, he will cover them. He will cover various topics in this book. It is not just one topic. It is not just aqidah. It is not just fiqh. It is not just about manners and behaviors. It is not just about tawbah or patience. Rather, it is something which is comprehensive because it will bring to you those ahadith from the sunnah that cover the foundations and the principles of all of these various topics. So you'll find here hadith talking about the sunnah and the importance of the sunnah. You'll find hadith talking about aqidah and aspects of it. You'll find hadith talking about issues of fiqh. You'll find hadith talking about patience and controlling yourself. You'll find hadith talking about the various different topics of the religion, giving you the principles and the foundations over that broad range of topics so that you have an overall understanding, a concept and a perception of your religion. You therefore have the foundations built. And as a Muslim, you then know how to behave with regards to this issue, that issue, what is the belief on this issue, that issue? What is the rulings on this fiqh and that fiqh? What to do in times of difficulty and patience needed? All of these different topics, he will give you the principles. He will give you the foundations. So that at the end of it, you come out with a good overall understanding of these various parts of your religion. That is what this book is about. The author of this book is one of the scholars who has passed away now. His name was a Sheikh Abdurrahman Asidi, Rahimahullah Taala. And if we briefly mention his biography, just so that you understand and you know who this Sheikh was, who wrote this particular book. His name was Abu Abdullah Abdurrahman Ibn Nasir. As-Sa'di, or As-Si'di, as some of the scholars mention, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He was born in the year 1307, in the Hijri calendar. And what are we now? Where are we now in the Hijri calendar? 14? 37, he was born in 1307, so how many years ago? 130 years ago he was born. It is mentioned in his biography, and this is something you will notice in the biography of many of the great scholars. It is something which is observed. 
something noted in the biographies of many of the scholars, something which is noted in his biography also, which is that his mother died when he was very young. He was only four years old and his mother passed away. And then he was only seven years old when his father passed away. So from a young age, the age of seven, both of his parents had passed away. But then look at this example. At the age of four, his father has passed, his mother has passed away. By the age of seven, his father has passed away too. By the age of eleven, four years later, he was half of the Qur'an. Many of the scholars, you look at their biographies, this is something observed. That they faced these types of scenarios in their young age. Parent dying or parents dying. Yet, you will note that these scholars from a young age, they learned. From a young age, they were educated in the religion. So now at the age of seven, he's lost both of his parents. But four years later, by the age of 11, he's hafid of the Qur'an. And then he carried on in that way, learning and studying and teaching until eventually, eventually he became a Shaykh Abdurrahman, a Sa'di in his area, the, you could say the head educator. All of the education system, all of the teaching, he was in charge. They used to go to him and ask him how to do it and what to do. So this is briefly a Shaykh Abdurrahman Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala, the one who wrote this particular book. Uh, he was born as we said in 1307, and he died in 1376. 1376, he passed away. He was known as one of the great scholars, Shaykh Abdurrahman Sa'di. This particular book as we said now, he has gathered together all of these various narrations. Gathered together these various aspects of the sunnah. And it's important. It is important that we learn these various aspects of the sunnah. Gaining knowledge is of great importance. It's been a while. The lessons have been broken to a degree. But now we intend Insha'Allah Ta'ala to begin this with seriousness and to continue it and to be upon the study of it on a fortnightly basis to go through these ahadith. So everybody needs to make their mental mindset to be in the right place. Knowledge doesn't come with ease and relaxation. As it is mentioned by Yahya ibn Kathir, لا ينال العلم براحة الجسد you cannot gain knowledge through relaxation of the body. You want to relax, then you will not gain knowledge. You want to relax on the sofa, you want to stay in your homes, you do not want to make the effort to come out, you do not want to make the effort to attend and to learn and to listen, then you will not gain knowledge. Knowledge will not come to you except that you strive. And that's why some of the Salaf, they said, this knowledge, in أَعْطَيْتَهُ كُلَّكْ أَعْطَاكَ بَعْضَ If you give your full effort in gaining knowledge, 
you give 100% effort in gaining this knowledge, absolutely everything you've got, this knowledge will give you back a little bit. You give every effort you've got, 100%, and you'll get a little bit of knowledge. But then they said, in أَعْطَيْتَهُ بَعْضَكْ لَمْ يُعْطِيكَ شَيْءٍ But then if you only give 80%, 70%, 60% effort, you give a partial effort, the Salaf used to say, knowledge will give you 0% back. If you don't give it your full effort, then you won't gain any knowledge. You don't give it your full effort, knowledge will not give you anything back. You give it your full effort, then alhamdulillah, you'll get something from knowledge. And so this requires that a person has the right mindset. You need to consider, as the scholars they mention, how the days and the nights they pass you by. Look at now, Eid is coming once again, Eid al-Adha, Hajj. Already you will remember one year gone by, and your relatives and your cousins and yourselves, you were going to hajj. Year has gone. You will remember two years ago, the ones who went five years ago, ten years ago. Ramadan now, it feels like, when was it? Gone. Comes and goes and the days, they pass you by. They pass you by and you continue walking and walking towards your end result. So there will come a time upon you and you reflect and you see that 30 years of your life have gone, 50 years of your life have gone, 70 years of your life have gone. And what have you done with it? How much of the Qur'an have you memorized? What have you memorized from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? What is it that you're teaching your kids now? Teaching your children, your grandchildren? These days they pass by. That's why the saying says, Al-waqtuka-sayf. Time is like a sword. إِن لَمْ تَقْطَعْهُ If you don't cut time, you cut it, meaning use it properly and carefully, and don't let it go to waste. Time is like a sword. If you do not cut it, use it properly, then it will cut you, meaning waste you. You will be wasted. Time is like a sword. If you do not cut it, it will cut you up. Cut you up on the days they come and they go and they come and they go. And before you know it, you are of an age where those years have passed by. Even the youngsters, those who are 20, 25, you will remember 15 years ago when you were in primary school. You will remember 20 years ago when you began the primary school and you are only 25 now. You will remember 20 years have gone by just like that. This time it goes, it passes by. So every individual needs to make a judgment at some point in his life that I'm going to seek this knowledge with seriousness, going to seek the knowledge of the religion with importance, not just coming along, attending, wasting time, not really focusing, missing weeks, coming some weeks. You won't gain knowledge like that. You can do that for the next 10 years and you'll barely be any different to now. If that is your attitude to seeking knowledge, Coming one week, can't be bothered the next week, coming another week, missing a few, coming a few. Ten years will go by and you're barely any different to now. Because in that way, you don't gain knowledge. 
You don't gain knowledge by on and off attendance, not focusing, focusing. So you need to make this judgment now in your minds. That a time has come. And perhaps this is the time that you need to now focus your minds on the seriousness of this knowledge. Allah said in the Quran, هَلْ يَسْتَوِي الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Are they equal? The ones who know, have knowledge, and the ones who do not. Allah tells you this in the Quran. Are they the same? People who have knowledge, and people who do not? Of course, the answer is, they are obviously not. Because the people who have knowledge, they know about their religion, they learn about the hadith, and the sunnah, they learn about the Quran. They are the ones who are superior to the ignorant ones who do not bother and they do not care. They are superior the ones with knowledge. That's why Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, if you want to know about the superiority of knowledge, then look at the example of animals. The animal which has knowledge, you know, is superior to the animal that is jahil. How? He mentioned the example of dogs. Is it allowed to have dogs, to keep dogs? Certain types are allowed. Like the sheep dog, the agriculture dog, the hunting dog. They're allowed. The hunting dog, for example. Not any dog is allowed. In this country now, it's banned anyway. But in other places, where they have the hunting dogs and they may catch rabbits and things and eat them, what type of dog is a Muslim allowed to have as a hunting dog? You can't just go get anything. You can't just pick up any dog and say it's allowed hunting dog. It says in the hadith, it does say in the hadith you're allowed to have a hunting dog. But what type of dog does it have to be? Has to be a dog? A hound dog, but the characteristics... It has to be a dog that has knowledge. Meaning, it has to be a dog that understands and is trained. So that when you tell it to go and catch the rabbit, it will catch it, but it will not kill it. Because if it kills it, it's haram for you to eat it now. What do you need to do before the rabbit dies? You need to slaughter it. So the dog needs to have knowledge that my owner... He's telling me to go get the rabbit, but he needs to have the knowledge and understand, I just need to catch it and wait. Wait there, don't eat it, don't kill it. Wait for the owner to come. needs to have the knowledge. When the owner says, wait, sit, don't move, the dog needs to have knowledge of what's going on and listen to those instructions. That's what the fuqaha they say. A dog that understands all of that, you can have it as a hunting dog. A dog that doesn't understand any of this, you let it go, it grabs the rabbit, kills it, tears it apart. That type of dog is ignorant, jahil, not allowed to have as a hunting dog. Ibn Qayyim said, look, even in the dogs, the knowledgeable one gets status. It can be a hunting dog. The jahil one, the ignorant dog, can't be a hunting dog, doesn't understand. So if in the animals, the one with knowledge is given superiority, then what therefore of the humans that Allah has honored? Allah has honored you with these minds. 
ennobled you and respected you, given you this nobility that you have understanding and intellect, like the animals do not. So surely, surely, if you wish to worship your Lord, then you worship Him upon that basira, upon that understanding and insight and knowledge. Because as a Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, when Allah told you in the Qur'an, what your purpose of existence is, in the ayah, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah said, I didn't create the jinn and the humans except for them to worship me. So we've been told, our purpose here, our objective on this earth is to worship Allah. Sheikh bin Ba said, now that you know your purpose and your objective and your reason for being upon this earth is to worship Allah, then the very next logical question that should come to your mind is, therefore, how shall I do that? Allah has told me that He has created me for the purpose of worshipping Him. Now the question is then, okay, how do I worship Allah? And how is that question going to be answered for you? Through? Knowledge through the messengers and the revelations and the knowledge. Through knowledge you will understand how to worship Allah. And then you will be able to fulfill the purpose of your creation, which is to worship Allah. But without knowledge, then how are you going to fulfill the very purpose of your existence upon this earth? A person who doesn't know how to make wudu, doesn't know how to pray, doesn't know how to fast, doesn't know how to do any of these things. How is he going to fulfill the purpose of his creation, the purpose of his existence, which is to worship Allah? So we need to realize the great importance of this knowledge. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ بِهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Whomsoever treads upon a pathway, seeking by it knowledge, then Allah will make your pathway to paradise easy because of it, or due to it. Treading upon a pathway, seeking knowledge, meaning what? It can be physical, physically getting out of your homes, physically treading upon the pathway, Physically coming to the masajid, physically traveling out to the scholars, physically treading upon the pathway of knowledge. Allah makes your pathway to paradise easy because of it. And it can be non-physical. There could be people who genuinely, genuinely are unable to make it physically to these gatherings of knowledge wherever they may be. Not talking about the people who are lazy. But those who genuinely are unable to attend, perhaps some of the sisters unable to leave their responsibilities, their children to come, it could be the case. Perhaps some people living in distant places where they are too far physically to make it. Perhaps people in regions of the world where there are no lessons or gatherings in their areas, so they listen online and they follow the lessons, or they listen to recordings and CDs, or they read the books, that is the best they can do in their circumstance. 
non-physical seeking knowledge without treading anywhere in their homes, listening online, listening to the CDs, reading the books, then they are considered also as treading the path of knowledge. That is also treading the path of knowledge. So a combination of those would also be considered as treading the path of knowledge. And the Prophet ﷺ said, your path to paradise will be made easy because of it. How? Because the more knowledge you gain, the more knowledge you have about your religion, the better you can worship your Lord. The more understanding you have of the sunnah, the more understanding you have of the Qur'an, so the more understanding a person has, the greater he can perfect his worship to Allah. Imagine now, a person learns the different acts of sunnah. So many things which are sunnah, enter with your right foot, exit with your left foot, Sunnah acts with regards to lots of things with eating, drinking, clothes. Many sunnah acts you can do. If a person knew them and implemented them, simple things. Imagine how much reward he is getting compared to somebody who just doesn't have a clue about all of these different sunnah acts. And he could so easily do them if he knew them. But he doesn't know them. Never learnt them, never really bothered with knowledge. So you need to look at the example of these scholars. Look at the example of the scholars. As Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'idi, the author of this book, we're going to go through. Hafiz of the Qur'an by the age of 11, despite both of his parents having died, by the age of 7. The scholars, they strive for knowledge. They strive because they know in the hereafter this is what will benefit them. They strive because they understand this is what will give them happiness in this world and in the hereafter. As Ibn Qayyim said, the hearts of the people are two types of hearts. A heart which is dead and a heart which is alive. Even though people are all alive and their hearts are beating, some of the people their hearts are really dead. And some of the people, their hearts are alive. The ones whose hearts are dead, even if they're alive and walking around and they're beating physically, they are dead in reality, if they have no concept of their Lord in their hearts, meaning in terms of the supplications, the remembrances, the duas, they have nothing in their hearts. Their hearts are empty. So their hearts are dead. No remembrance, no knowledge, no sunnah, no nothing. Their hearts are dead. But the hearts who are alive are the hearts who are connected to this religion, connected to their Creator, understanding what Allah sent to us in the Qur'an, understanding what Allah sent to us with all of those prophets and messengers that came throughout time. Look at the examples of the prophets and messengers. How much they put effort into teaching, preaching, this religion and tawheed to the people. Look at the example of Nuh alayhi salam. Thousand years except fifty. Calling to this religion. When the waves they came and the water it came and they were upon the ark. His own son who was a disbeliever. Nuh alayhi salam said to him, come be a believer and board with us. He was a disbeliever the son. 
He said, I will climb a mountain, it will save me. But on that day, there was no salvation from the command of Allah. And so a huge wave came and the son of Nuh was drowned before him. These are the trials the prophets and messengers faced and went through in teaching this tawheed and giving us this revelation from Allah to us. You look at all of them in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He mentioned some of them, they put all of that effort in to give us this knowledge. Allah chose them to have the revelation come through them, to be passed on through them. And they strove to do that. But the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in that narration, رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ وَلَيْسَ مَعَهُ إِلَّا الرَّهَبِ I saw a prophet and he did not have with him except a handful of people. All of that da'wah that he gave, all of that calling the people to tawheed, and at the end of it, only a handful of people accepted. Did this stop the prophets and messengers? Did this dishearten them and they quit? Never. They continued upon that call. They continued upon this religion, calling to it, preaching it, teaching it, spreading tawheed, warning against shirk, calling the people to have knowledge of that. In the same narration, the Prophet ﷺ said, وَرَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ وَلَيْسَ مَعَهُ إِلَّا الرَّجُلْ وَالرَّجُلَانِ I saw a Prophet and he didn't have with him except one or two people only. All of this da'wah, all of this effort, and only one or two accepted it. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, وَرَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ وَلَيْسَ مَعَهُ أَحَدٌ I saw a prophet and he didn't have a single person with him. Yet, despite that, when you look at what the prophets and messengers did, and what they faced, and how much effort they put in, to spread this message that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to them via the revelation, it shows to you this importance they attached to this religion of tawheed, to this religion of monotheism and warning against shirk. Because on the day of judgment, nothing else will save you. Save, except this tawheed. The people of tawheed will enter paradise and the people of shirk will enter hellfire. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk with Him, but He forgives all else to whom He wills. These are realities that we need to focus on. These are realities that we need to really settle into our minds. Not to make these gatherings casual get-togethers. Not to make these gatherings casual get-togethers. We come and we see the brothers and we sit and we go. And a couple of days later, you can barely remember anything from the lesson. You can barely remember anything from the hadith. You can barely even remember which hadith it was. If you spend your life like that, then like we said, the days and the nights, they will pass by. The days and the nights, they will pass by and there will come a time when you reflect on how many years have gone and you have taken nothing from those years. How much time has gone, and you have taken nothing from that time. And time is something valuable given to you. Hence Allah took an oath by time. وَالْعَصْرِ By time. 
What is this time? The time that Allah has given you upon this earth to benefit from it, to put forth your deeds. So when an individual considers his reckoning on that day, and that it will be based upon your deeds in this life, and that your deeds will be based upon how much knowledge you have of this religion. The one who has knowledge is the one who can practice. The one who is ignorant and jahil, then what is he going to practice about Islam? So when we start this book now, everybody needs to have a serious frame of mind. Everyone needs to have that frame of mind that we're going to seriously study. We're going to learn these hadith. We're going to memorize these hadith. We're going to understand what is in the sunnah of our messenger. As Muslims, we are not just going to sit there and say we are Muslim. But we are going to actually understand what it means to be Muslim. We are going to understand what our messenger taught us. We are going to understand what Allah gave us in the Qur'an. That is the objective you need in your minds. That is the objective you need for yourselves, for your families, for your children. As Allah said in the Qur'an, أَنفُسَكُمْ وَأَهْلِيكُمْ نَارًا Protect yourselves and your families from the fire. How are you going to protect yourselves and your families from the fire? With this knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge which puts you upon tawheed and saves you and protects you from shirk. That's why Hudayf ibn al-Yaman used to say, كَانَ النَّاسِ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرْءِ مَخَافَةً أَنْ أَقَعَ فِي أَوْ أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي He said people used to ask the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم about the good things. But I used to ask him about the evil things. Fearing that otherwise I may end up falling into those evil things without knowing. A person who doesn't have knowledge, then you might end up doing things which you think are okay, but actually they are haram. You may end up doing things you think are okay, but actually they are innovation and bid'ah. How are you going to know without knowledge? How are you going to know without learning the Qur'an and the sunnah? People to this day, they will make up things and they don't know any proof for it and they don't understand it. Only text messages and whatsapps going around, do this and do that. Pray hundred rak'ahs this night. Pray this adhkar one thousand times this night. No evidence, no proof, nobody understands anything doing it blindly. Your religion is not like that. Allah gave you minds, Allah gave you intellects, Allah gave you honor. So use that to now understand this religion of Allah. And every person has the ability. As a Shaykh Al-Fawzan said, every person has the ability to understand his religion. Everybody's ability will be different levels, no doubt. Some people will understand more, some people will understand a bit less. But at least everybody will understand something. Just like when you have potholes outside in the streets and the roads. If there's a big pothole and it rains, there will be a lot of water that builds up in there. If it's a small pothole and it rains, will any water build up in it or not? It will still build up on it because it is still a pothole at the end of the day. 
But because it's only a small pothole, then there will only be a small amount of water. But there will be water. Sheikh Al-Fawzan said, your minds are the same. Some people, maybe it's deeper. You can take more knowledge. Some people, maybe it's not as deep. So you can't take as much, but you can still take some. So you cannot sit there and say, I'm not a scholar, I don't know. I'm not a scholar, go and ask somebody else. There is at least some knowledge that everybody can take. So when we go through these ahadith now, we go through the sunnah. Even if you don't understand every single thing, some of you maybe understand three quarters, alhamdulillah. Some of you may be able to understand half, alhamdulillah. You are understanding some at least. Make the focus and make the effort and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy upon you to study and to learn and to memorize and to give you that firmness in your mind because it needs that. It needs that firmness in mind to seek knowledge. Friday nights, what are you doing otherwise? Nothing. For most of the people when they miss the lessons, they didn't really need to miss the lesson. For most of the people, any small excuse it comes, we can't attend. Somebody's coming round to my house tonight. What time? 10 o'clock. Lesson's at 8 o'clock. Make your preparations at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, have your house ready and come to the lesson. You could do it if you really wanted to. If you really wanted to, you could do it. But the excuse is there. Khalas, I can't go now. Anything else comes up, a tiny issue comes up, I can't go now. If that is what happens to you, then the shaitan is winning. Shaitan is putting these tiny whispers into you. This has come up today, you can't attend. That has come up today, you can't attend. And in that way, you end up where we just said, days and nights have gone, your elderly age comes to you, and all you've done when you look back is nothing. Still not memorized anything, still not understood anything. So be warned from that. Be warned from wasting your time, and be warned from not having the right mindset. Have the right mindset. Have the mindset of wanting to seek knowledge. Wanting to understand your religion. This is what Allah prescribed upon you. Allah prescribed upon you this religion. Gave you this revelation of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So as a Muslim, you need to understand it and make an effort. The problem is not the understanding of it. The problem is how many people really even make the effort. So now, the point of all of this is to encourage us all. We need to be in a framework of mind where we are going to make an absolute effort. We're going to come regular. We're going to bring our pads, our pens. We're going to encourage our families and bring them. And inshallah, we'll make it easy. Kids and youngsters, they want to come, they'll understand. We'll make it easy. Won't use any big words. Everything simple, alhamdulillah, easy to understand. So everybody can take benefit from these narrations, take benefit from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So, we'll begin with the first part of this book. Hadith number one. Hadith number one in this book is about intention, your niyyah. Intention and sincerity. Hadith number one is about intention and sincerity. It is the hadith narrated by Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. 
one of the great companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was a Khalifa. Which number Khalifa was he? One of the kids tell us. Umar ibn al-Khattab, which Khalifa was he? Third, are you sure? Second, are you sure? Anybody else? He was the second Khalifa. He was the second Khalifa, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. He says in this hadith, قال, سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول, I heard the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم say, إنما الأعمال بالنيات وإنما لكل امرئ ما نوى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ Hadith which is muttafaqun alayh which is the strongest type of hadith you can have. Agreed upon by Bukhari and Muslim. Agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. In this hadith, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu says, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, that indeed all actions are based upon your intentions. All your actions, the reward you get for your actions, your recompense upon your actions, is dependent upon your intention. It is dependent upon your intention. All actions are in accordance to your intentions. And every person will have, will get what they intended. You'll get the recompense, the end reward, the end result of your actions, depending on what you intended. So whoever, for example, intends to make hijrah, make hijrah and go to the land of the Muslims for the sake of Allah and His Messenger, for the sake of His religion, then his hijrah is for Allah and His Messenger. He'll be rewarded upon that. For that intention of purity and sincerity, protecting his religion for the sake of Allah. As for a person who makes hijrah, goes to the land of the Muslims, not primarily because of the religion, but maybe other aspects. Maybe there is some worldly benefit for him there. Maybe there is a woman he wants to marry there. Maybe there are other reasons he made that hijrah. So now his action will be looked at, in relation to his particular intention for doing it. One of the best examples that shows you this, explains this point, is the hadith about the three people, who will be from the first of the people, thrown into the hellfire. Who are the three people from the first of the people, at the beginning, thrown into the hellfire? People who used to worship Allah. 
Because there is a man, it says in the hadith, a man ustushhida fi sabilillah. A man who was martyred fighting in the path of Allah. On the day of judgment, it will be said to him, after Allah shows him all of the blessings He gave him when he was alive, Allah will say to him, what did you do with all of these blessings? He will say, I fought for your sake until I was killed in your path. Is that not a great act? It is. Did he really do it? He did. So why was he thrown into the fire? Because then it will be said, كذبت. It will be said, you have lied. You're lying, even though he did it. It will be said to him, you're lying. إِنَّمَا قَاتَلْتَ لِيُقَالْ جَرِيءٍ You only used to go and fight because you wanted people to say, MashaAllah, look how brave that man is. Look how courageous that man is. Look how bold that man is. So you used to go out and fight in the path of Allah with the Muslims, etc. But only in your intention. You wanted everybody to say, look him, mashaAllah, always at the front, always there. Brave, courageous, mashaAllah. وَقَدْ And what you wanted in your mind, that's what happened. People used to say that. They used to say, mashaAllah, brave, courageous, bold, so strong. They used to say that about you. And that's what you wanted. That was your intention for going out and fighting. So his intention, was it for the sake of Allah when he did this act? It was not. It was for the sake of showing off on the people. So him, it mentions, he will be dragged on his face, thrown into the hellfire. Another man, on that day, he was somebody Allah blessed him to, blessed him with knowledge. So Allah will say to him, what did you do with these blessings? He will say, I used to teach the people. I used to teach them Quran. I used to teach them knowledge. Did he used to do it? He did. He did used to do it. He used to teach people the Quran, teach them recitation, teach them knowledge. But then, when the man says, that's what I used to do, Allah will say, كَذَبْتْ You have lied, even though he did it. Because then it will be said to him, you only used to do that, teach the people the Qur'an, recitation, etc. Not for the sake of Allah, not because you desire goodness for the people and to teach them the Qur'an, not for those reasons. You used to do it, لِيُقَالْ قَارِئْ So people would say, him, have you heard his recitation? Have you heard how good a reciter he is, that teacher? You wanted everybody to praise you. That's what you were looking out for. You wanted everyone's praise. How beautiful you can recite. That was your real intent. You didn't really care about teaching people. You were only doing it. He was only doing it. Because you wanted everybody to say, MashaAllah, beautiful voice, excellent recitation. And that's what they used to say. So his intention, when he was doing that good act, teaching, his intention was not for the sake of Allah. His intention was again for the sake of the people showing off to praise Him. 
So he will be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. A third person on that day, Allah blessed him with lots of money, lots of wealth. Allah will say to him, what did you do with all of these blessings? He will say, مَا تَرَكْتُ مِنْ سَبِيلٍ تُحِبُّ أَنْ يُنْفَقَ فِيهَا إِلَّا أَنْفَقْتُ فِيهَا He'll say, I did not leave any possible way that you love charity should be given, except that I used to give charity in all of those ways. All of the ways that have been prescribed for us to give in charity to the school, to the poor, to the masjid. He said, everywhere I used to give charity. Did he used to do it? He did. He used to give money to everywhere. But then it will be said to him, كَذَبْتْ You have lied. Why? Because it will be said to him, You only did that لِيُقَالْ جَوَاد So people would say, MashaAllah, how generous he is. Always donating everywhere. Always giving so much money. You wanted people to look at you and praise you. You wanted the showing off. That's why you used to do it. Your intention was not charity for the sake of Allah. Your intention was charity to get showing off from everybody. And they used to say it, MashaAllah, MashaAllah. So much charity he gives, so much money he gives. They used to say it. So he got what he wanted with his intention. He wanted to show off, he got it. On the day of judgment, he will be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. Imagine here, these three people, were they doing acts of worship as it looked like? Looked like they were doing acts of worship, fighting in the path of Allah, teaching the Quran, charity everywhere, good things, acts of worship. Yet in their hearts, their intentions were corrupt. And as a consequence of their intention being corrupt, their actions were useless. And that is why the scholars, they say, when you do your worship, it is not just about the physical aspect of your worship. Worship isn't just the physical thing. Standing and ruku and bowing and hajj walking around and stone. It's not just the physical things that you do in worship. It is about the intention in your heart, the sincerity to Allah for the worship that you're doing. That is the key. That is the key for the acceptance of your worship. And that is what the shaykh wants to highlight to us in this first hadith. To understand that all of your worship is built upon sincerity to Allah. Not built upon getting praise from the people. And they mention a story about a particular teacher. They mention a story about a particular teacher. He was teaching his students about this issue of sincerity. He was teaching his students and saying to them, My students, my sons, make sure you are working hard. Make sure you are learning about the religion. Make sure you are striving to do your worship. Make sure you are working really hard to obey Allah and to worship Allah. Make sure you're working really hard. Because me, even me, even me, I don't know if I'm going to go paradise. So what about you lot? 
Even me, I don't know if I'm going to go paradise. What about you? Do you understand what he did? When he says to them, even me, even me, even I'm not guaranteed paradise. What about you lot? What about you people, you nothings? If I'm not even sure, yeah, I'm not even sure. So what about you people? Get a move on, roll your sleeves up. This indicated a lack of understanding from this teacher. What do you mean even I'm not sure? Who are you? This indicates that his intention, his sincerity, his understanding is mixed. A person comes along and says to you, even me you know, even me with everything I do, I don't know if I'm going to get to paradise. You? What about you? You don't do anything. That is a mistaken understanding. And the teachers, they used to mention that as a type of joke, a story about this teacher to highlight to you that a person needs to understand sincerity in his heart. Needs to understand that he's doing this worship for the sake of Allah. The Salaf, they used to say, مَا عَالَجْتُ شَيْئًا أَشَدَّ عَلَيَّ I never had to deal with anything more difficult than my intention. The most difficult thing, the Salaf, some of them, they used to say, that I have to deal with is my intention. يَوْمًا عَلَيْكَ وَيَوْمًا لَكَ Sometimes it is with you, sometimes it goes against you. You have to keep it in check. Sometimes it starts diverting away. Love for the world and love for money and love for different things. You have to keep hold of your intention. Remember that all of this life is for the sake of your worship to Allah. To gather your deeds, to gather your good rewards. Sincerity to Allah. Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَثًا they were not commanded except to worship Allah upon sincerity, upon tawheed, oneness of religion to Him. So in this opening narration, the Shaykh wants to highlight to you that the key factor in the acceptance of your worship is that you realize and you understand that you're doing it for the sake of Allah. You're doing this worship for the sake of Allah. And that's why they say in the books of fiqh and other books, in a hadith as well, in the hadith about Ramadan, مَنْ صَامَ رَمَضَانْ إِيمَانًا وَاحْتِسَابًا غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ In the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever fasts in Ramadan with iman and ihtisab. What's ihtisab? That a person knows in his heart, in his mind, he's doing this worship for the sake of Allah, for the reward from Allah. You're not just fasting because it's a habit and everybody's doing it and you gotta do it. You're not just praying because your parents tell you go to the mosque. You're doing it ihtisaban. Meaning with the sincerity to Allah, desiring the reward from Allah. That is the purpose of your worship and the reason why. So an individual, some of the scholars they mentioned an example, about two people who come to the mosque. Two people walk into the mosque, they stand side by side next to each other, close by next to each other. And they start praying Tahiyatul Masjid for example. Both of them, you see them, you're sat in the corner of the masjid, you're looking at both of them, and they start praying the two rakaat. 
Both of them exactly perfect. You're watching them, both are praying perfect. Just like the Prophet ﷺ said, Sallu kama usalli. Pray as you have seen me pray. They are doing it. Both of them identical. When they finish the prayer, you've not been able to spot a mistake in either of them. Perfect. Both of them. But only one of them gets the reward. One of them does not. One of them, he is up in the heavens. The other one is down in the earth, in the dirt. Why? They both did exactly the same action. Because even though outwardly they did exactly the same action, inwardly one of them had his intention for Allah, and the other one had it for the people. So even if they did exactly the same physical worship, the reward and the result of it will be completely different for the two of them, because inwardly their intentions were completely different. One for the sake of Allah, one not for, not for the sake of Allah. One for the sake of Allah, one not for the sake of Allah. So this opening hadith, it says, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ Indeed, actions are upon your intentions. And that's why even when it comes to other forms of worship, intention matters. Imagine now on these hot days, one of these hot days, you've been out there playing football, playing in the streets here, playing in the field, and then you come home, and you're hot, because you've been playing around, you've been falling down, your friends have been doing all these fouls on you, you've got mud everywhere on you as well, so you come home and you have a shower. You have a full shower, 20 minutes in the shower. 20 minutes, you know, the kids, they do it, and the parents are shouting, get out now. All the water is wasting. 20 minutes in the shower. Then you come out after 20 minutes full shower, and your parents say, it's prayer time, let's go to the masjid. If that boy now comes to the mosque and prays, is his prayer valid? Why not? So you're saying he hasn't got wudu even though he did 20 minute shower, wasted all the water? Because he never had the intention? You could have a shower for an hour, sit in the bath, fill it up with the bubbles for an hour, come outside after it, dry yourself, put your clothes on. If you never made any intention for wudu and you never wiped those parts, doesn't matter if you go to the sea, swim in the ocean for an hour. You come out afterwards, no intention for wudu, you haven't got wudu. An hour in the bath, you come outside, clean everywhere, smelling fresh. No wudu. Because you didn't make intention. If you make intention, in the shower, in the bath, and you rub the areas and you do it, when you're in there, then okay, you got wudu. But if you didn't make any intention, even with all of that water and washing and soap, you have no wudu. Because the intention was not there. So intention is very important when it comes to worship. In Ramadan, a person needs to make his intention before the true fajr. Before the actual time begins of fasting. If you want to make up a day for Ramadan now, for example, somebody has a day left they need to make up. If now... Imagine somebody gets to Dhuhr time 
and they think to themselves, all day I've been busy, I didn't get a chance to have any breakfast, nothing, I haven't eaten anything since last night. And they think, wait, I've got one day left to make of Ramadan. It's already Dhuhr time, I haven't eaten anything. I might as well carry on till 7, 8 o'clock now, this will be my day. I've made it up, then I've done it. Will it count? No, because he didn't begin the day of fasting with intention. Optional fasts, that's okay. But the obligatory fasts, no, because of intention. So that intention is key when it comes to your worship. To have the intention for that worship. And to have a sincere intention for that worship. And that's why when you go into Kitab al-Tawheed, of a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, you examine various chapters he mentions in there, then there are many pitfalls that the shaitan may cause you to fall into when it comes to intention. A person he desires through his worship some worldly benefits. Maybe somebody is studying Islamic studies, not for the sake of Allah wanting to learn his religion, but because he has seen a vacancy for an Islamic uh, teaching job in a school, and that's all he cares about, the money, the wage, and so he's studying just for that. Now this person, he's studying, studying knowledge, studying religion. It isn't being done with the sincere, pure intention. He's doing it for the sake of the money, for the sake of the job. That's okay as a secondary thing. You're learning, you're studying, and you know as a bonus you may end up with a job as an Islamic lecturer in a university or something, no problem. That's a side thing. The primary focus of you studying is for the sake of Allah, for the sake of your worship, for the sake of being able to worship Allah. If as a side point, you end up, somebody offers you a job as Islamic studies teacher, gives you wage and money for it to teach, no problem. But that is a side thing. Primary focus is on Allah and the sincerity to worship Allah. Or there may be some other worldly benefits, there may be some other enticements that are causing you to worship. So a person should not allow his intention to become mixed in this way. Do not seek after the worldly benefits. Your worship is for the sake of Allah. Whether anybody sees you, praises you, you do not want that. You do not want the praise of the people. That's why when it came to the man who used to give in charity and show off, in the sunnah it actually says, سَبْعَةٌ يُظِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي ظِلِّ يَوْمَ لَا ظِلَّ إِلَّا ظِلُّهُ Seven types of people Allah will shade them, under His shade on a day, when there is no shade except His, one of the types of people will be, رَجُلٌ A man who used to give money, with his, Right hand, but he used to give it so secretly that even his left hand did not know what he was giving. Meaning he did it secretly. Doesn't care about people knowing that he gives in charity and gives lots of money. Does it secretly and his reward will be with Allah. One of the categories of people shaded on that day, on the day of resurrection when there is no other shade. This is the fruit of sincerity. These are the fruits of sincerity. The one who is sincere, he will find the fruits of calmness, peace and tranquility in his heart, in this world and in the hereafter. 
the one who is sincere to his Lord, knowing that whatever occurs, whether he is rich, whether he is poor, whether he gets what he desires in this world, whether he does not, he knows that his existence here is for that sincere worship to Allah. So he continues that every day, every night, every morning, every evening, worshiping Allah upon sincerity until that time of death comes upon him. Regardless of whether the people, they praise him and raise him or not. It is mentioned on the day of judgment, there will be a man. That in this world, the people, they used to look down on him and they used to belittle him. Look down upon him and belittle him. Yet on the day of judgment, he will be somebody elevated and raised up. Because even though people used to look down on him now, and they had no respect for him, he was a sincere worshiper of Allah. And on the day of judgment, he will be raised, even if now the people didn't give him any attention. So you do not need to bother about the attention of the people. You do not need to bother about the praise of the people. Do not allow the shaitan to confuse your intentions. It is something of extreme importance. And it will rectify a great number of the issues in society. How often do you hear, this brother has fallen out with that one and this sister with that one. If in reality you had the purity of intention in your hearts, sincerity in all of your actions, loving for your brother what you love for yourself, loving to be upon that guidance, loving to be upon the practice of this religion in its precision, and performing all of your actions, all of your speech, for your brothers, for your sisters, one to another in community, in society, with sincerity to Allah, desiring goodness for one another, then that sincerity in the hearts, that purity in the hearts, it would go a very long way in bringing about much more love and unitedness, unity within the people and within the communities. So this sincerity and this heart is something very important to look after. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ مُضْغَ There is a certain organ in your bodies. إِذَا صَلُحَ صَلُحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّ If it is good, this one particular organ in your body, if it is good, then all of your body, everything will be fixed, you'll be good. But if it is bad then all of your body will end up bad, everything you do will end up bad. It is the heart. So the purity of that heart is something a person needs to work on. Purity and sincerity with his dealings with other people. Purity and sincerity in his worship to Allah. Purity in his seeking knowledge. Doing it sincerely because he wants to raise ignorance from himself wants to raise the ignorance and remove it from his family and his community. Sincerity he's doing it with. Not for any other purpose. Not for any other purpose. Not as the hadith says, so that he can get all of the heads of the people to turn to him. And they'll say, look, he's got knowledge. Not for those reasons. So this opening hadith is what we'll conclude on today. Hadith that speaks about the importance of intention, the importance of sincerity, the importance of cleansing and purifying your heart. And that is one of the pillars of worship. There are two pillars 
to every worship you do for it to be accepted. One is sincerity, ikhlas. The second one is al-mutaba'ah, which we will do in the next session in hadith number two. So by the time we finish hadith number two, next session inshaAllah, you will know the second pillar, and there are only two pillars, for the acceptance of all of your worship. All of your ibadah, everything you do, needs to be on two pillars to be accepted. The first one we've done tonight briefly, which is sincerity, ikhlas. The second one is following the sunnah in everything you do. So people can't just say, but I'm doing it to show my love for Allah, but this is something good, I only have a good intention, it's okay then, isn't it? Is it enough to have a good intention? No. So the next session will come to the second pillar for worship to be accepted. And that will be inshallah ta'ala in two weeks time. Every Friday this lesson will be on in a fortnight, every fortnight. And every other Friday, the other lesson is on as you're aware with Abu Iyad. And then Saturdays also. So there are very many activities here. Remember two things from today. Firstly, what is the first thing to remember from today? Two things to remember from today. What is the first thing? Before intention. The first half of the lecture we spoke about, fixing your mind. Fix your mind and get it straight. That you want to seek this knowledge and you want to strive for it. The second point from today is the hadith about sincerity and intention and that it is the first pillar for all of your actions to be accepted. And inshallah in two weeks time, the second hadith regarding the second pillar. So that's where we'll conclude upon today. If there's any questions we're able to take, we'll do so now. Uh, and then we'll conclude upon that. There's a question here that somebody understands and realizes that Islam is the true religion and that Salafiyyah is the correct pathway, but that they are hesitant in coming into it, saying that I'm looking for a sign, I'm waiting for a sign. The reality is, when you are in a position that you have now come to realize that Islam is certainly the truth and that Salafiyyah is certainly the truth, because Salafiyyah is Islam, and Islam is Salafiyyah. So when you realize that Salafiyyah is the correct way, Islam is the correct way, then do not hesitate in saying, I am waiting for a sign. There is no such thing that is mentioned for you. The sign has already come to you. The sign has already come to you. The very fact that you have now come to an understanding in your mind, that Islam is correct and Salafiyyah is correct. And that is the way that I should be upon. That understanding has come to your mind. That is the sign in of itself for you to now take the step and accept. Do not wait for signs, a light coming out of the sky and these things they make up imaginary. The sign is that Allah has given you this understanding now. You realize Islam is correct. You realize Salafiyyah is correct. You realize that if you die upon shirk,
you will be in disaster. Then that is your sign. Now go and accept. Accept Islam. So a person should not hesitate. If you hesitate, then there is no guarantee you will get these signs now you are waiting for. In fact, it could be the case that if you hesitate and time goes by, your heart actually declines. It deteriorates. And maybe after a while, you no longer want to even consider accepting. So when the time comes and you have realized it is true, then accept it and begin to learn it and practice it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up the affair for you even further. Voluntary fasting. The voluntary fasting, you still have to have an intention. You have to have an intention, but the only difference is it's not a condition to be in the morning. So let's say today or tomorrow at Asr time, all day somebody doesn't eat something, Asr time they realize they've been so busy all day, they haven't had a chance to eat. Then they think to themselves, it's Asr now, Maghrib's coming soon. Let me just make the intention optional fast for today. You can do it and you'll get the reward for that day, optional fast. That's what's meant. But with obligatory ones, you can't. You have to make the intention right from the beginning. So even optional, you have to have the intention. No, with the nafal prayer, from the beginning you have to have intention. Because otherwise, how would you get up and make takbir if you never had the intention to pray? You have to have the intention from the beginning. Just with the optional fasting, it's allowed to begin in the middle of the day if you haven't done anything else so far, to fast as an optional fast. But even then, you still make the intention at that point. Is there any other questions? It's okay, no problem. Halfway through you decide, I want to make wudu as well, because it's going to be prayer soon. No problem, in the middle of the shower, just make, just make your wudu. Just put your hands over the arms, face, etc. You've done it.
So we'll conclude there. Inshallah ta'ala, this particular book in two weeks' time again on a Friday evening.